let's talk about it. Hello and welcome back to Thick Radio, the podcast where we talk about gaining, feedism, and everything in its orbit. I'm James. And I'm Tim, so let's get into it. Today we're, ret- uh, sorry. <clears throat> Today we're having one of our favorite guests back. Today we've got Ray. Ooh. Hi guys. Ray, baby, how are you? <laughs> I'm well. Thank you guys for having me back on here. Thank you for coming back. Thank you. Thank you for being back because, Ray, you are an iconic individual. We had such a blast with you last time. And, you know, in lead up to today's episode on mental health, you actually reached out to us and you had that conversation on, you know, this is what you do for a living. This is your bread and butter. And, you know, I think that's exactly the person we need to have talking with us today on this. And it is such an important subject that never gets fucking talked about so you know uh listeners prepare for this to be a bit of a long one but you know what you better listen to every fucking second of it because i guarantee you we're going to be spitting wisdom and having some good chats so ray baby are you ready to get into this yeah this is a this is going to be a meat and potatoes episode meat and potatoes i love it i love it So look, Mm -hmm. kicking off for a start, you work as a behavioral health clinician. Is that right? Yeah, well, technically my title is a therapist, but there's a lot of jobs that kind of fall into that category. So I don't just do therapy um, for just individual families, groups. I do consultations. I do case management. I do treatment planning. I do psychoeducation where I'm like teaching people about various different mental um, disorders and um, managing their symptoms and things like that. I was a community educator at one point. I got a lot of roles for one hat. Wow. So, I mean, I know they say jack of all trades, but really you're a a jack of all therapist couches. Uh, Something like that. Something like that. So, I mean, realistically, you, you've got a scope of experiences, knowledge, and I think it also really points to how many different categories of human, how many instances in life can really affect our mental health and need to be a reason to have a conversation about it. So kind of taking it from there, I know the World Health Organization defines mental health as a state of well-being in which an individual realizes his or her own abilities, can cope with the normal stresses of life, can work productively, and is able to make a contribution to his or her own community. So, I mean, that, I suppose, like, makes it plain and simple. Life stress, working well, and contributing to community. But in your experience, is there more to it than that? Yeah, you know, that's a that that definition feels like a pretty good standard way of describing what mental health is to the average Joe who does a Google search, but I like to think that it is a little bit lacking. Um, there's this concept talked in a lot of psych classes uh, called the hierarchy of needs, and it was developed by Abraham Maslow, and it basically states that 
in order for us to live our best lives, we need to have all of our needs met in a specific order. And just like it says, it's a, usually shaped like a pyramid. So going from the bottom to the top, we have our physiological needs, food, water, shelter, safety, belonging, and love, self-esteem, and self-actualization. You can't get to a higher level without making sure that the bottom levels are addressed. Right. So with mental health care, we're hoping to help people establish that state of what I like normalcy, again, using quotes, because what is normal anyway, but um, you know, not being in crisis, making sure that we're all well and good, but also finding a sense of purpose and meaning in life. Mm. Um, basically, we don't just want people to survive, we want them to thrive. Right. And I think that's such a really important point to to come back to, because I think sometimes when we look at mental health, like people love to reduce things down. I mean, we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording. People love to just take a concept and go, oh, this is the sentence, the one sentence, there is no more. We don't need to look at the rest. We have my sentence blurb, it's fine. So when you think about it, things like addressing homelessness, that is very much on the mental health charter because that's looking at that first layer, housing, <laughs> access to food and water and everything, uh, crisis care for people in areas that have been affected by disaster, you know, it all makes, it all makes sense to kind of look at it from that holistic, complete view and really look at it as like a pipeline journey where people enter in triaging. Where are you with this, that, the other, can we ensure that, you know, this is, this is on fire, great, we'll look at that, but actually is the first thing broken and the thing before that is that fractured and it's looking at that fracture and giving that what it needs before you move on to the next thing and then the next thing thereafter. So I think that makes total sense. I mean, Tim, to bring it around to just healthcare in general for a spell, you know, mm -hmm. does that kind of mirror like the needs of addressing healthcare from, from your side of experience? Yeah, I mean, if you walk into a patient's room and you've, you know, you've never worked with them before, this is a brand new admit. I mean, the first thing they tell you to do is give them a once over physically, take a look at them, see what's going on, ask them questions to assess their mental cognition, and then address things like, are you hungry? Are you thirsty? Are you in pain? And then once you've ticked off all those boxes, you can be like, okay, I'm going to take all my data I've compiled. I'll be back later. You go and yeah. So it's it's always baseline stuff. You want to make sure that they are alive, breathing. They're not in any pain. They're not, you know, malnourished, stuff like that. Yeah. That's why we often say when working with people who are in dangerous situations, if they're still living with somebody who is abusing them or in a situation of neglect, we can't really address that problem until you get out of there. Yeah. We can't heal this unless you're away from it. Like, what's the point of trying to clean up a spill on the floor if the pipe is still leaking? 100%. I was having this conversation with a friend recently uh, around, you know, someone who we knew who lived in a bit of a hoarding situation. And they'd gone in and done some work in the space. And they'd said the last time they went in there, it's like, oh, it's gone right back to the way that it was. And that point had to come up. It's like, you can help as much as you want doing that at the moment. But unless there's systemic change, you're going to find that those same issues continue to repeat themselves. You know, there's no real healing it's just kind of painting over 
the situation mm-hmm. as it were, you know? It's, it's interesting yeah. that you bring that up because that made me think of, and this might be a segue, but like I, when I think about those sort of flash in a pan situations where you have TV shows that are built around mental health or therapy, like Hoarders or yeah. Family Therapy with Dr. Jen, all these things, like you're, you're seeing a scripted produced something that is not, you know, it's not reality, despite the fact that, you know, it is a bunch of cameras filming what people are doing. And then specifically with something like Hoarders, you know, when Ray said, why clean up the spill if the pipe's still leaking? Because like, there are so many episodes of that show where they go right back to hoarding after the camera crew leaves. Mm -hmm. It's like, because the actual mental problem was not addressed, they just cleaned a house. Yeah, right. It's, it, uh, it's, it's a frustrating thing. It's part of that presentational nature of humanity. You know, like we want to see, like with gaining, we want to see the before and the after. We want that immediate gratification of transformation. But so few people want to talk about like the process that people had to like slog through to get fat. Because some people did it and it's like, oh, the before and after. Boom, easy. Some people, that was decades decades of hard work so the struggle and the process and the journey in between cannot be understated and look if you want to refer it back to like cliches people always say it's not about the destination it's about the journey like let's but i feel this community doesn't take that tactic i feel like they all they're it's all about the end of the journey it's like i want to see you at like 125 pounds and i want that picture compared to you of 450 pounds like they want to be able to and all the other stuff in between they're not so interested in because what gets the most likes in this community those side-by-side transformation picks right and you know what we we are going to circle in on like the community and mental health uh, later on in this episode um but i want to bring it back for a second and ask you know there's so much stigma around mental health in in your guys opinion what are some things we can do as individuals to help ourselves begin to overcome this and perhaps help other people to overcome this at least baby steps beginning of the journey right yeah well you know it's it's kind of interesting that you mentioned that about having stigma around mental health um for context i work with um people under the age of 18 I work mostly with teenagers, but I also work with some young adults transitioning into adulthood, like 18 to 22. Um, and it's interesting because I feel like within the last 10 to 15 years, um, we've seen a little bit of a shift in the way that mental health is being perceived and talked about. Um, and I see it a lot in the youth that I work with, so it could be generational, um, but I know that it's kind of more normalized now to talk about mental health, at least again with younger people. Um, you know, I think that there's a lot of uh, media that's being consumed that integrates uh, conversations of mental health and that makes it maybe easier to talk about. Now, granted, I think that it can also be to an unhealthy extent. Um, I have had a I've encountered a number of young people who I like to call our diagnosis collectors who more or less like to kind of show off what their diagnoses are to others as like a concept of hey guys see let's see who's the most fucked up um and then 
you know, we have. You're taking me show. back to high school by saying this. Oh my God. I'll tell you, I'll tell you, well, I'll tell you when you're done, but yeah, this, that took me right back to high school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That comparison game. The other thing too, um, I mentioned about media, there are some media that's been good and some media that's been really harmful. Um, the biggest one I can think of is the show 13 reasons why. Um, not sure if either of you fellows have seen it, but um, oh. many. Mm. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I I didn't watch it, but it was when I was back in Australia and um, one of my younger sisters had been watching it at the time. And I, I can't remember how old she was, but she was in high school at that point. And I, I hadn't seen the show. I'd heard about it. You know, I, I grew out of like teen dramas way back. And there was this line that was being talked about where like she was really struggling with her mental health and she screams at this guy and says, leave me the fuck alone. And so he leaves her alone. And then it's her voice playing in the background. Like, why didn't you go after me? And I'm sat here like, oh my God, you, you straight up killed yourself and then blamed this guy for not rescuing you. That Ugh, I don't even want to begin to to delve into the level of toxicity of of blame and inappropriate just oh oh god and that's before we even get into things like the whale but to, to suffice <laughs> and to summarize I don't really give a shit about you as the writer or producer romanticizing slitting your fucking wrists and going oh this is just what romance is like is it no Fuck off with all of that. If it's bad, it's bad. Stop telling people, oh, this is a genuine reflection of someone's poor mental health journey. Great. You're romanticizing it and telling everyone that this is normal and deserved. How about we don't do that and we just talk about like good shit? But Ooh, anyway. don't don't either of you ever watch the rules of engagement then. <laughs> don't plan on it. <laughs> oh God. So like I, the reason like this is all kind of taking me back to high school because like Ray, when you were saying about the sort of showing off what your mental problems were, you know, it wasn't necessarily that in my group of friends, but I do very distinctly remember that a lot of us were on antidepressants in our teens, a lot of us. And like, it kind of became a game at lunch to like, see who was on what, like, oh, I'm on Zoloft. I'm on Paxil. I'm on, um, uh, what was the other, a Prozac, you know? And I was like, it became this game of comparing who had what for what reason and even then I was like, why are we on all this shit? Why are we on all these meds? Like, we're just, we're just fucking kids, man. Like we're, we're suburban kids growing up at the end of the millennium. Shit is just fucked up. Columbine happened. It was like, there was just so much crap going on. I was like, why is this? A, uh, it was hard. And then it was um, when you guys were talking, or James, when you mentioned um, romanticizing uh, mental disorders, like one of my favorite movies, because I actually lived this experience and knew these kinds of people is uh, the rules of engagement. And it's about college kids that are all fucking up constantly. They've all got various mental problems that they're not dealing with. And in the middle of the film, there is kind of a glorified suicide scene. And I remember at the time watching it going like, emotionally connecting to this girl who was harming herself going like god i can i know what that must have felt like for her to want to die you know and i i guess i didn't take it into my head that this is making it look romantic like it's something that is beautiful you know instead of tragic and it's just it's it's always like a, a sort of awakening for me to come to the realization that the things that i have experienced over the years 
are far more damaging than I realized at the time. I mean, yeah. that, that, that can also be summed up with things like uh, we watch a lot of media about fat people that we get turned on by, and that's how we discover gaining. And that's how we also learn as thin people growing up that people get off on, you know, people get bullied and called pig, fatty, and they get called names, and they have things happen to them. And then when we become fat, because we didn't experience the trauma of that, we just get turned on by it. We see no issue calling each other pig and using that as a through line to a jerk off sesh. But there are actually plenty of fat people and people who were fat as kids who became gainers where that is super triggering. And we don't take enough time, in my opinion, to actually step back and clarify those points before we jump into a conversation with oink, oink, squeal, squeal. And we really need to, much like you were saying, Tim, it's about taking a step to recognize that just because something doesn't affect you or affects you in a different way doesn't mean that it does not have the power to affect someone else. And we need to be, I think, a lot more cognizant of how that can affect people. Mm. Yeah. Basically kind of being in, taking into consideration that our experience is not the only experience. And it's hard because we can only see through our own eyes, but knowing that there are certain other factors that lead to somebody's um, state of being and their specific slice of life, um, I think that in general, whether it's one of those things where you're like, you have that uh, spectrum, people who are over romanticizing um, the troubles of mental health or people who are refusing to talk about it at all because they think it's shameful. I think talking about it in just a very clear, frank way without trying to glorify it makes it part of a regular conversation. Just in the same way that somebody can be like, oh, hey, I heard that you had a, have a headache. You know, why, why don't, why, why do we talk about uh, mental health as something that we can necessarily just instantly get over in the same way that not everybody can necessarily get over their own physical health problems. You don't hear people saying, well, you should have tried harder to not get heart disease. You should have tried harder. 100%. And that's, that's another call out as well to the ways in which fat people and health intersects, because we're very quick to say, you know, as a fat person, you have failed, because you have made a choice to be fat. Mm -hmm. And that, first of all, shows a complete misunderstanding of how like fat works, because the majority of people who are fat don't choose to be fat. They become fat because of genetics and because of all sorts of things There's factors that lead up to that. But it's the ways in which we are so quick to moralize the concept of health. You know, you are unhealthy and I've decided that because of your fatness, which in my mind makes you unhealthy, makes you a bad person. And when you think about like, oh, well, the, for the majority of fat people didn't choose to be fat. Oh, but you still achieved it. Okay, cool. What about people with disabilities? A lot of people with disabilities did not choose to be disabled. Many people achieved it because of different things that happened in life. Does that mean they should be kept away from healthcare? Does that mean that they should be uh, chided and made fun of and belittled for needing healthcare? Because, oh, you're fat, you need you need crutches, you need a wheelchair. Yeah, it's because I need access to things. Oh, well, because you're fat, yeah. What about a bitch who has no legs? Do you think she should just sit there and roll? Like, do, 
dehumanizes her and demean herself because they, they can't, they don't have any legs. Like, no, you get in the fucking wheelchair and you shut the fuck up about it. Like, well, it, but people do that with mental disorders too, because they, they look at it like if you have a mental disorder of any kind, they're like, well, that means you're a weak person. You must be weak because you can't get past this. Like, you know, you could, you can almost hear like, uh, I, was diagnosed with depression when I was a teenager, but I really feel it was more situational. I honestly don't feel that I would not say that I am depressed today, but like as a teen, you could almost hear somebody in your head saying, Oh, what you're sad. That's what's wrong with you. You're sad. Oh, poor you get the fuck up and do something. You know, like you kind of hear that in the back of your head and you think that that's what people are going to say to you. Oh, you're sad. You're depressed. Oh, well, gee, that's too bad. It must be really nice to just lie around and feel sad all the time. You know, <clears throat> Oh my and that's God. what I feel that like people will project onto those mm -hmm. with a mental um, problem of some kind. It's like, it's your own damn fault because you can't pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, put your big boy pants on and go to work. You know, there's also something to be said that yes, mental health, I think is its own category because the brain works in such a specific way, but your brain is a physical thing that exists. Mental health is something that happens to the brain mental health is real because it's a physical reality happening to your physical real brain and so it's this interesting delineation where because we rely on that mental framework literally of it's all in your head we think about the stereotypes of someone who uh is you know the terminology is they, they people say crazy or insane people see oh making things up and it's stories and it's blibbity blibbity blah but like no that's your real physical human brain having actual physical health situation mental health is physical health and i think that is a part that needs to be like talked about more and maybe that will help people to actually recognize that the physical realities of what is happening to your brain needs to be addressed in that same fashion in which we address physical health. So to bring it back, um, I know that reliable information and talking about experiences, because we talked about this, right, are excellent ways of connecting with people about our mental health. But in terms of the community, like the gaining fetus community, is there something that we can do as individuals that might make things a bit easier for the collective to kind of break through in that sense? Yeah, you know, kind of like I mentioned a little earlier, um, I think that encouraging the kind, this kind of conversation in just a frank, straightforward way helps to make it less uncomfortable. Um, again, kind of thinking about um, the people from, you know, perhaps older generations where in older generations talking about mental health and saying that you're having some delusion sometimes that got you institutionalized so people didn't talk about that because they didn't want to end up in the padded rooms which really did exist yeah thankfully there was a time when I'm... oh i'm sorry go ahead oh i was just saying thankfully you know we're kind of moving past that now yeah. but you know it's either you hide it and stuff it down or you're in the padded room. I mean, just to put things in context, it wasn't until I want to say the early 90s that this finally stopped. But a man could put his wife into an institution because she wasn't acting like a wife, because she wasn't being obedient. He could drop her off at an asylum and she'd be there for Christ only knows how long, you know. And it was, again, not until the early 90s did that stop. 
I mean, can we talk for a brief moment about Britney Spears' conservatorship and how that is the exact... And, okay, this is a a little segue here, but, like, people, stop doing that thing where we have a little victory and we co-sign and say that everything is done, dealt with. Like, the amount of homosexuals who said, we've got same-sex marriage legalized, take the day off, everyone, there are no more queer problems, trans issues... Fuck them, because we got gay marriage now. There are no more issues forever and all eternity. And then people turn around and go, but what do you mean there are problems that still persist? Like, it's a real thing. So just because the thing in the 90s was sorted doesn't mean that it didn't still persist. You know, it's like the concept of slavery. Slavery was abolished, but it doesn't mean that the police system wasn't then rejigged to make it so that the actions of slavery could still be enacted by the white populace, like later on down the track. Australia loves to say that it never had slavery because technically, technically, we never did. But it does not mean that we did not put Indigenous people on reservations and commit horrible ethnic cleansing crimes and do all sorts of things. Look up the stolen generation. It's a horrible, horrible thing. But we love to do that. We love to go, oh, this thing is dealt with. Yep, that's it. No more problems. And that kind of comes back to that thing of we love a one sentence. We love a button comment. Oh, it's all dealt with. We've had that. No, no more. No need. It's all all covered now. But it's not. It's a deep-seated everything. And all of this is interconnected. You know, people people would probably think, why are we talking about uh, women being locked up in asylums and also, like, the subjugation of Black people and the treatment of the Indigenous and disabilities and all this? Because it's all tied together. Because everyone's got brains and everyone can therefore experience mental health crises and all of these horrible things lead to mental health not being the best so it needs to be brought up and it needs to be talked about because we love to not address our shit especially when we cause it like that's a real thing Uh, parents especially love to be like oh this ungrateful child of mine having their mental health problems so what if i uh misgendered you and took you to a conversion therapy therapist i had to work six days a week to afford you going to school how dare you have have problems so rude like oh it's just it's all of that all of that just mm, digging tilling the tilling the earth tilling the soil turning it over and let's 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 dig through this because it all needs to be looked at. Sorry, diatribe there, people, but uh, you know, <laughs> all all ties in together. Um, but Ray, bring it, bring us back. What can we do <laughs> to to support one another? Um, I think that um, being willing to have those hard conversations, making it easier to talk about. Um, you know, you kind of, you mentioned in your little diatribe there about misgendering and something that I have seen that helps, you know, even with just that small thing is seeing people bring it up to make it less uncomfortable for somebody to mention it. So for example, somebody who might be cisgender could say, hi, my name is so-and-so. I use he, him pronouns. How about you? That's extending the hand and making it easier to respond as opposed to doing something that feels inconceivably dangerous and impossible by raising your hand and asking for help. Right. That could be the first step of 
is always the hardest. Right. Check in on your people. Talk to them. Ask them how you're doing and genuinely mean it. Yeah. Don't just ask about what you ate today or how much you weigh. <laughs> ask how they're feeling. But that breaks the fantasy. <laughs> I don't mean to I don't mean to be glib with that, honestly, but like I do feel that that's the reason why those questions don't get asked because how many times have I said before that like there are so many people and I'm going to talk about grammar specifically because I don't think this is true on Instagram but for grammar you open up the website and you scroll through the global news feed and it is all that really surfacey like I'm posting about how much I've eaten today or how much weight that I've put on or does someone want to buy me lunch does someone want to stuff me who wants to chat yada yada you're not seeing anything you're not even seeing like general positive affirmation stuff like I hope you all are having a great day everyone here's beautiful like none of that stuff it's just all that fantasy and <clears throat> perhaps that is the reason why you don't see people checking in on each other well I think that brings up an important question you know like when when we're speaking to others about our mental health like is there a limit to what we should share and when it comes to those people who we connect with are there particular things that we need to be on the lookout for if someone, you know, maybe seems like they're, they're off a little bit? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because um, a lot of people will say that if I'm having a hard time, I'll talk with my friends or I know that my friends will be there for me. But bear in mind that most of your friends are probably not mental health clinicians. And even if they are, they're not your therapist. Mm -hmm. You could be, you could have friends who are therapists, but they're not your therapist. Um, you know, friends are great and they're important for our support network, but they're not professionals and they're not always going to be the best in being unbiased in helping you. Mm -hmm. You know, I think sometimes they don't even have the best advice. I think about people who you know, you go out drinking with and they'll just say, here, if you're having a bad day, let me just buy you another shot. Or the people who you go get high with, you know, do you do anything else with these friends besides engage in negative coping skills? Mm, that almost brings us back to a point we said before about, you know, uh, and, and this point I think was particularly on like advice when we talked about mentorship, you know, you have to be choosy you have to be picky about who you take advice from. And that's in yeah. all areas of life, uh, business, finance, uh, romance, mental health. Who are you taking advice from? Does this person know what the fuck they're on about? Uh, and like you say, they don't need to be a mental health clinician necessarily to, to listen. But, you know, if you're going to ask for actual process advice, think about that. Like, who are you seeking this out from? How are they handling their shit? Questions we need to ask. Um, and maybe something more specific here um, with the COVID-19 pandemic. And I understand, you know, the world seems to be moving forward as if COVID is no longer a thing um, and lockdowns are easing. But, you know, I think the whole process of being locked down really brought up mental health as a big thing in the last few years. So referencing like that, that kind of scenario, because people live in those different situations, it's all different. What are some aspects of self-care in the home that we can practice that might help our mental health situation a little bit covid pandemic notwithstanding yeah you you make a great point that when covid happened that really kind of pressed just how 
important mental health is for people because, you know, when all almost all outpatient services got shut down, you know, and during that time when we were figuring out what's this Zoom thing, you know, we realized how quickly people people were starting to decline. In fact, there was I, I can't remember where it came from. Uh, but I swear it's real, um, a research study about how the number of calls to suicide hotlines spiked during that few initial months in lockdown because they had no support and they got to the end of their rope. Um, what I do know, things that we can do for ourselves to help us to continue to face the day are uh, two part. One is to develop a strong support network. These are your friends, your family, people of your community who you can genuinely trust, who care about you and care about you holistically, not just again, oh, this is my drinking buddy. I only hang out with him when I feel like going out or, you know, something like that. Um, and then the second part is developing coping skills. Um, now, coping skills, for those of you who don't know, are any techniques that we can use to help us deal with daily stressors of life. And there is a wide variety of them. Some of them are healthy and some of them aren't. Healthy ones, perhaps, that could be, you know, if you have an exhausting day at work and you come home, maybe you like to read a book. Some people might decide to get high. Some people might say, I want to go on a walk or I want to make myself a nice dinner. Some people may just choose to isolate and not speak a word to anybody. These are all coping skills, but it's just a matter of how much harm is being reduced here or how much harm is being created. It's really easy to fall into that pattern of isolating, which is what happened um, during the pandemic. Hmm. I do want to say that there are a number of useful um, tools that are out there that are a lot easier to access now for people to use as additional sources to help them. Um, I would say, you know, you can go on the um, App Store or the uh, whatever uh, play store you have where you can access apps. And there's plenty that can provide you with psychoeducation, uh, perhaps with um, like there's the My Strength app. That's a great one for providing psychoeducation. There's Calm, which is a great one for helping to practice meditation. I should say they aren't substitutes for therapy, but they are tools that you can use on your own to supplement yourself and to help when you're feeling overwhelmed. I love to hear that. I love to know that there are a, a smattering of, of different options and things that can help people in different places and different areas of life. I actually love to go for a walk, you know, which mm -hmm. I get it gainers. That sounds counterintuitive, but you know, mm -hmm. whatever, get over it. Like go for a waddle if that's what you can manage. <laughs> but I, I love a walk. I love a walk because I will go by myself. I will put my earphones in or my headphones in. And you know, sometimes I'll listen to music and then just like lip sync my way out of my, my trouble. Sometimes I'll listen to podcasts and I listen to another conversation that I don't have to be a part of. I can be a fly on the wall, get my humanity and not struggle. And sometimes I put my headphones on 
and I talk to myself and I talk to myself about what I'm feeling and I'm like, James, what's going on? And I pretend like I'm on a phone call and like, that's a moment for me to like verbally talk through what I'm experiencing and like touch on different points. Sometimes it's easier to talk things out than to think them out. You know what I mean? So I love that. I love that there's different things. And I love that you mentioned that it's not a substitute for therapy because I think in many ways, like addiction, people will trade one thing for another. You know, people will, uh, I I I think gaining ironically with quitting smoking is probably an example of this. People who are addicted to smoking who quit and end up picking up the donuts instead. That's why they gain so much weight because they haven't actually dropped the addiction. They've just swapped one thing for another thing and the addiction still needs to be addressed. So even if we're getting some gains out of that, we still need to be trying to work through what leads to that. And you know what I mean? So just, I know gainers, you love your food. That's some food for thought there, right? (laughs) now i'm gonna ask a question that i think has a bit of an obvious answer but you know i just i think it needs to be asked so i'll just um are there elements in the community that need to be challenged regarding mental health (laughs) i think there's an obvious answer there um yeah absolutely the obvious answer is no, no, everything's fine. It's the uh, everything's fine. Everything's fine. Let's, where's that? Uh, where's dog that dog on the, the dog holding? You know, in the house that's on fire. It's fine. <laughs> Everything it's is okay. It is not. It is okay to not be okay. <clears throat> One hundred. There's a point to be to be made there. I think because we, we, again, kind of talking before the the episode. You know, what were some points there, Tim? Things like how long we spend on the internet uh the yeah, val- validating yourself based on how many followers you have or how many people comment on your stuff or how many people respond to your stories on instagram or you know like you kind of and i fell into this trap too because yeah. i thought i needed validation from the community in order to feel like i was a part of it and that's not even the first community i've done that with <laughs> when i was in you know i'm a leather person too and when i became a a, a human pup I thought that I had to win a title to validate my existence as a pup. And so I went through the process and I won this contest. And then I was like, wait a minute, I didn't really need to do this. You know? So like in the gainer community, I know that it's, it's so easy to feel invisible when like, say you've been on Instagram for a while, maybe you have less than 500 followers and you kind of feel like nobody cares or no one's paying attention. Like I get it. I was there too. One thing that I kind of want to bring up regarding that is um, there's there's some science behind that. You know, when we get a like, when we see that somebody comments, that gives us dopamine. And our brains love us some dopamine. We seriously love that. And that's why uh, we tend to get hooked on those sorts of things because it gives us those little bits of gratification that have us wanting more. You want to talk about addiction, dopamine can seriously be the, is the thing that drives a lot of that. So I think a little bit about um, the input of others and thinking a little bit about how much you're going to let that influence you. Yeah. Um, there's a little bit about, you know, um you mentioned about validation i think that another important part is about um setting boundaries um and being able to know how to 
some people are afraid to because they're afraid they might come off as cold. Um, but I think that if you don't set boundaries, that's a, a great way to get walked over. That's a great way mm. to get hurt. 100%. Something else that came to mind thinking about like things that in the community, and I think we've all experienced this, the first Grom off you ever go to, if it's not you, it's someone else. There is always someone who is just very awkward and does not know how to have a conversation. And you think to yourself, like, yeah, it's entirely plausible that this could be a person who has some form of uh, learning disability or some kind of situation where they just don't engage as much or don't quite know how to talk in the same kind of cadence that uh, a person who is uh, typical may do so. But a lot of these people come down to, I've never met a gainer before and I don't know how to conduct myself because I've only ever talked to people online and I have only ever role played with people and I've never talked about what it's like to talk about this in person and I've never even opened my mouth and said the word gainer. And you just find that there are so many people who struggle with that kind of social awkwardness because of this lack of humanity that seems to occur in the digital space. And I get it, it's a digital space, it's not technically real, but it's real enough that it seems to do something to us. So I don't know, it's just a, a, just a scenario that comes to mind talking about this. I always liken it to, so like, okay, um, th this is probably not as true for the Gen Z queers, but so, so like the older millennial queers, maybe probably your age too, James, like, so we go to school and um, we're expected to participate in all of the social things that kids do in school. Now, when I was in, a teenager in the late 90s, I was the only queer kid that was openly queer in the school. I found out later that there were more, but they weren't open about it. So like, I didn't get to do queer social i did not get to do queer socialization with my peers i didn't get to ask a guy to prom i didn't get to go to homecoming with a guy i didn't get to go out on dates with guys or anything like that so when i got into the gay scene at 18 for the first time i didn't know how to conduct myself i had never talked to other gay people i didn't know what we were supposed to talk about i didn't know what we were supposed to do and then <clears throat> coming out into the gainer community I like there. I had my first experience with a gainer, and it was awkward because I didn't know what to talk about. I didn't know what was supposed to happen. I didn't know what the expectations were because he didn't communicate it to me either. So it's like that's how it always feels to me. It's like you're you're expected to know how to do things without ever having been taught how to do them. Uh, brings a point back. We talked about mentorship. Hashtag lack thereof in the community. All communities of queerness. Uh, we need more of it, uh, maybe to help people to feel a bit more adjusted as they start to enter into these spaces, um, especially since the usual distinction of these spaces is you can't have sex and now you can have sex and now that's the only conversation people want to have and it's very difficult to make queer friends without there being some kind of sexual undertone. So, you know, just, uh, just more things, more, more things that we need to hopefully... <laughs> hopefully address more of as the years roll by. But I did want to mention something. There was an article that came out recently. The US Surgeon General uh, has taken an official stance on social media and said that people under the age of 13 should not be on social media because of the scope of effect that it can have on mental health, on the development of minds. It is wild. Uh, so, you know, obviously this is not geared towards uh, kids in that regard, but if you know young people if you have young siblings or nieces and nephews or things like that you know things to be aware of they're going to be on these spaces engaging with who knows what about who knows what and they might 
start to not feel great about stuff. So let's not just be looking at the people around us who we think, well, they're going to have mental health problems because they work at nine to five in a world that's falling apart. Let's look at our kids. Let's look at everyone because everyone is probably needing some help <laughs> at this stage. Um, <clears throat> I do, I do want to ask here though, because I know I mentioned before about me going on walks and I want to ask Ray, like how much does physical health play into our mental health and considering the cultural lack of physical activity within the gaming community overall, what does that mean for us? Hmm. Good question. Uh, you know, a lot of mental health experts always encourage um, having a healthy lifestyle um, as a supplement to help their mental health progress. Whatever that means to you, a healthy lifestyle, I think a lot of times that kind of, that automatically makes that assumption of, you know, eat healthy, exercise regularly, get plenty of sleep, etc. And I kind of feel like that might be a little ableist, honestly. Um, just thinking about that's not always possible for people, you know, I think too about the other factors that come into that, you know, they say that, you know, physical exercise will produce endorphins and endorphins are hormones that can help to relieve pain, reduce stress, improve mood, but you can get endorphins in other ways besides working out or doing any kind of exercise. You can get it from getting a massage. You can get it from having sex and you can get it from eating. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Isn't I've that always like our wondered, thing? <laughs> I've always wondered like that whole argument of um, physical health equals mental health. Do you think that's really more about establishing routine? Because isn't it true that like the more routines you have, the more secure you tend to feel because like we're creatures that love routine. Yeah. I think that that's a big component to it. As much as people might not like to think that having a routine is for them, it keeps our minds on a good track, you know? So whether that routine is I go to work, I come home, um, instead of, you know, just letting the rest of my day go, you know, all over the place, what I do is I go to my uh, local community center, I go for a swim, I go swimming when I'm under the water, everything goes away. Um, I come back out, I go home, I make myself dinner, and that already kind of bookends my day on a better note. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's just so interesting. And I think this comes back to another point about anything fat adjacent that we always need to be conscious of is that the world is fat phobic, right? So it's like a lot of solutions that the world comes to, which is anti-fat, are positioned to be, well, this is for your betterment, and there's actually no other way around this, but isn't it interesting that when you look into the science, you don't need to do physical exercise in the ways prescribed that people expect of humans in order to get the exact same need out of it. We could get that by eating. Isn't that fucking funny? Uh, you know, insert plenty of historical conversations on uh, people who are fat being told by doctors that they need to lose weight because that'll apparently be better for their mental health, but that's rooted in the expectation that we want to lose weight. And that's not just gainers. There are plenty of fat bitches out there who just don't care about their weight because they just happen to live neutrally and also don't want to have to lose weight with the proviso that it would make them feel better because they don't feel bad. So mm -hmm. conversations that need to be unpacked, the concepts of it, 
goodness versus wellness versus health versus fitness versus all those things and how oftentimes so many like new terms like wellness bitches look out for the term wellness because that is just a, a very new relabeling of diet culture fucking mm -hmm. uh what's it weight watchers weight watchers have rebranded themselves as a wellness organization make no mistake nothing has changed they are all about weight loss and calorie counting and not giving a shit if they promote uh, fucking eating disorders but they are wellness so be aware of wellness because you want to talk about diet culture and something that's come along recently that's kind of disturbing me i'm noticing a trend in people um it's to do with a certain pharmaceutical and uh apparently a lot of people are starting to use ozempic for weight loss now ozempic is a drug that was developed for diabetes management and it's meant to be taken I, I don't think it's meant to be taken every day i think it's meant to be taken like once a month or something like that but i have now people like even nurses that i work with have like gone to their doctor and i don't know if that's they asked about it or if their doctor suggested it but ozempic is now being used for weight loss and i just don't think it's smart or safe to take a anti you know to take a diabetic drug if you don't have it you know and i asked the people who are going like oh i'm gonna go on ozempic for weight loss i'm like do you have diabetes they're like no i'm like then why are you taking this like this is nuts like when i heard that when i heard them talk about this i'm like this is really dangerous guys like the 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 thing about diabetic drugs is that they are meant to um remove sugar from your blood it's like working in place of insulin right and if you're not careful like like dropping your blood sugar too quickly or lowering it to the point where now it's always low and that's something that you're going to have to worry about for the rest of your life like that's dangerous the brain suffocates without sugar mm. i mean isn't that so, the like, with a lot of medical drugs like if it's a drug that cures syphilis if it's a drug that cures intestinal cramps and things like that it works on the premise that you have the thing and if there are side effects there are side effects and if you have a medical drug that is meant to do something cure you of a thing when you don't have it more often than not it ends up giving you the thing yeah that's just how you're like you guys are going to get diabetes from taking this drug that's meant for diabetes because you don't have diabetes and then the pre mm -hmm. the pre-diabetic thing came up and i was like oh christ this again like this pre-diabetes thing needs to go away. I'm sorry. Like, I don't like this idea of your pre something. Like there are certain situations where like if you're pregnant and you're preeclamptic, that makes sense. Monitor that. If you are on the cusp of like having high blood pressure, yeah, you should probably monitor that, but you don't necessarily have to go on a drug just because you're close to being hypertensive. There are ways of bringing your blood pressure down without even touching a drug. Yeah. And again, with this thing, it's like, you don't even have diabetes. You just want to lose some weight. And you're now putting a, a, a drug in your body. You really don't know what the fuck is in there. And you're using this solely to lose weight when you don't have the disorder it was meant for. It but bothered me a lot. This is a conversation point on the power of systemic fat phobia and the power of what we are willing to do. You know, people who died uh, from Zinfandel and people who have passed away from weight loss drugs and diet campaigns and all of this, they participated in things that have been so dangerous that there is a potential like bariatric surgery. There is a potential that you could die on the table at any given fucking moment. And it's like, you could risk death by literally doing this exact thing. And someone will go, I understand that, but it is worth it to me because I would rather take the risk of dying and being thin 
than to not risk death and live as fat. And we need to come to a point of understanding like how fucked up that is. We would, I mean, I can't remember who told- If that's the case, then why don't we go back to lead-based makeup then? Go. You know, if like, you'd look great, but you'd be dead. Like, like, okay, if looking better is more important than staying alive, like, let's just go back to lead-based makeup. But you know, (laughs) it comes back to the point of contrast. Like, you know, we say about fat people, Hey, fatty, walking along the street, look at you looking so fat, you look so unhealthy, you deserve to die, screw you, drive away. If you said that to a person with a disability, look at you, you stupid, disabled person, wheeling around in your wheelchair, you deserve to die. Look at you, you stupid queer person holding another same-sex person's hand, you deserve to die. Look at you, black person uh, wearing a do-rag, you deserve to... Like, you know that those things sound fucked up. So why does it not sound fucked up when we say the exact same comparative thing about fat people? It's proof in the pudding about how we dehumanize people and how we need to take that step in understanding that people are truly equal value to ourselves. And conversation points on mental health. Hey, stupid person with a mental health problem, you don't deserve assistance because you're weak in the head. Like... I don't know, girl, like what, some people just love to dehumanize and that is their thing. They are looking for the excuse to feel better than a group of people they have decided is now subordinate. Mm. And I don't, that, that, that just blows my mind. Anyways. You know, this, uh, it's sort of related, but, uh, that conversation about like realizing what you're saying to that random passerby and how horrible it is reminds me of um, uh, of something that I, I read. There's this book, and it's online too. It's called The Dictionary of Obscure Sorrows. And it has, it's a, a collection of very interesting words that have really deep and profound definitions. And one of them, uh, one of my favorite ones is called Sonder. And Sonder is the realization that each random passerby is living a life as vivid and complex as your own, populated with their own ambitions, friends, routines, worries, and inherited craziness. An epic story that continues invisibly around you like an anthill sprawling deep underground. Every single person you pass by has such a uniquely complex life why are we reducing it down to again that's that idea of the one sentence mm-hmm. why are we doing that mm. <sighs> heavy chats important chats all of this fuck mate <laughs> <laughs> oh girl i just i feel like i've just been dunked in an ice lake just talking about all this i'm like oh kind of air and my lungs are tight and just oh all of that Right. Healthtalk.org suggests that weight loss contributes to positive mental health in terms of increased self-confidence. Now, I know we talked a little bit about how the medical can be flipped because actually the medical doesn't count because it could be subverted the other way. But in terms of gaining, would that inverse be true? That gaining weight could positively inflict on our mental health? Yeah, I think for the most part, um, you know, I the reason I don't say 100% is because I think of how much our community relies on the input of others 
um, you know, to kind of tie back into the self-validation that people are seeking through likes and through comments. Um, you know, if we're not careful, we have the potential to become slaves to the algorithm. Uh, something that I want to, um, to kind of bring up is this idea of intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation. Extrinsic motivation is you're doing something because you're going to get some kind of tangible reward for it. What It's not long lasting. And eventually you can build up a tolerance for it. You know, I think that uh, Tim, you were mentioning about, oh, my this picture didn't get as many likes as the other one. You know, it's making me feel bad. Or maybe I've reached this goal that I thought I wanted to have, but now that I'm here, I'm not getting the acclaim that I want to get. Maybe I should go a little higher. And maybe that's not what you want. Maybe you're gaining weight because you're just, you're hoping people will notice, even though you were comfortable where you were or you were already at your goal, you just kept pushing it because you needed that reward. Oh my God. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, do you know what that immediately makes me think of? There is someone in the community and I will not say who, but there was quite a blow up post some time ago because it had seemed like they were just gaining and gaining and gaining, growing consistently. And they actually did quite a large and in-depth post about how, in fact, they were nearly 100 pounds lighter than what they were listed as on Grommer. And it was quite a large post because this person was exceedingly popular, talking about how they felt like they had to continue to post. They had to continue to showcase growth because in order to have engagement with people, it was predicated on growth and it was predicated on the popularity that came with that growth. And this person was clearly experiencing a mental health moment where they were trying to just own up to it and say, this is what happened. And I think at the time, and I'll admit, I think I was on this side of the conversation as well. There was a sense of, well, that's what happens when you lie. Maybe you shouldn't lie. And da -da 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 -da. But let's be frank. Any of us could have found ourselves in that situation because really what a lot of people are clawing for in the community is a level of popularity where it seems like you get to meet all the right people and go to the parties and get fed by all the famous feeders and have this experience. But it affects every single one of us. And again, maybe that conversation point on if we talked about our shit, maybe it wouldn't build up and become something so traumatic, you know, and maybe that's all it takes, which almost feels wild to infer like, oh, all it takes is just talking, but shit, you start from, you start from the ground up, just talking becomes the conversation that we've been missing. So apologies for cutting you off before, Ray. You're oh, still on mute. mute. I knew that. Um, <laughs> the, the thought that I also wanted to add in was related to, we, we mentioned extrinsic motivation, yes. intrinsic. Intrinsic motivation is that desire to do something because of how it makes you feel. You know, we can think about, um, I know for me, uh, when I was in school, I had uh, peers of mine who would get like paid money to get good grades. I did it because I liked getting good grades. I liked feeling smart and I wanted that. It didn't care. I didn't care if people were going to give money. I thought like, why don't you just want to do that? Like, don't you like feeling good about 
um, excelling in a certain situation, doesn't that feel good to you? So think about the reason for why. Why do you want to do this? If grammar didn't exist, would you still do this? If you didn't have access to social media, would you still want to do this? I think it's important to ask why, and that kind of helps to lead us into a direction of what to do. Yeah. Questions on unpacking things like our internalized homophobia, ask yourself, in a world in which no kind of phobia ism is or anything existed and you had the ability to choose would you choose to be straight or gay and listen it doesn't matter which one you choose but if you choose not to be gay what's the motivation there and if you know in your own mind that there is a disapproval or a down look or something where you think to yourself well i actually wouldn't want to associate with those faggots or i wouldn't want to be you know related to xyz then that probably infers that there is a little bit of internalized something that you need to do a little picking through, right? Um, I, I, wa I want to bring up here as well, because uh, we talked a little bit about medication already. Mental health medication often has a side effect of weight gain. And I know that I've heard about this before, and I've been curious personally, Assuming it's appropriate for individuals to be prescribed, is there a tact in how we should approach our healthcare professionals about that? And maybe Tim, actually, because you being being the nurse, yeah. have a little bit more on this. Like, what what's your take on that? I, I have a, a very um, tenuous relationship with psychotropic drugs, um, so I do believe that they are uh, important. I do think that they are necessary for certain people. I'm glad that they exist. And if you genuinely need a psychotropic for whatever your situation may be, then I want you to have it. I do feel that there is a tendency to overprescribe because I feel like there are a lot of doctors who feel that their time is better spent doing other things and that they don't really want to address mental problems or behavioral problems. So their first instinct is to throw a pill at it, which also ties into the fact that you know some doctors get incentives from pharmaceutical companies for pushing certain drugs like it's it's just a bad thing there um in terms of like if you feel that you want to talk to your doctor about a psychotropic medication that has a side effect of weight gain you really need to find out if it's appropriate for you to have it in the first place you know like one a really popular one that causes weight gain is remeron remeron is an antidepressant um well, actually, that might not be its exact designation. I should look it up. But um, it's it's sort of in the class of those psychotropic drugs that work on mental problems. A, a side effect happens to be increased appetite, and that's why people put on weight. And you might be hearing that and thinking, oh, I would love to get on that drug because I just don't have enough appetite. I'd love to be able to like just be hungry all the time. But then think about the side effects of that medication. If you don't actually have depression or you don't have any other you know issues that you're dealing with, you're you're you can almost create the problem because those drugs are meant to address those issues. And if you don't have it, that drug can actually create that issue. Mm. You know, um, <clears throat> it's just, it's, it's so tricky because I can understand the desire to want a pill to gain weight. We'd all love that. We would all love that. Cause then it's like, it's just cutting out all a lot of like, time and effort and it's that instant gratification thing again 
but the long-term side effects of psychotropics are well documented at this point and they they can have just life-altering side effects like most psychotropics can lead to a particular disorder and this is long-term so we're talking about maybe 20 or 30 years down the road you will develop this but it's called tardative dyskinesia and if you don't know what that is it means irregular movements of the face irregular movements of the mouth the tongue like and i have seen what severe tardative dyskinesia looks like we're talking about people who literally can't stop moving like their face is just constantly moving and once this sets in it's permanent it does not go away and you have it for the rest of your life now not all psychotropics um are guaranteed to lead to this but like 99 percent of the drugs out there have this as a side effect so just be aware of that like is it really worth it just to you know i guess cut out the middleman and, and and begin putting on weight easier i mean we were talking about this just before we, you know you'd mentioned that drug that people are looking to to lose weight it's diabetic drug most likelihood you'll lose a bit of weight and then you'll get diabetes if you don't already have it because it'll fuck with you and mm -hmm. conversation points on how we as people will sacrifice something really not worth sacrificing for something if we're not really prepared for it and how many people afterwards will plead the fifth and say i didn't know there was no way for me to know or i just never thought that it would happen to me like you're human things will happen to you you live life shit happens and and just to clarify when it comes to drugs and side effects like if it happens to one person during a clinical trial it has to be listed as a side effect so even if you're that one out of like six million that gets a particular side effect it's possible because it was discovered during the study so don't think oh well that's not going to happen to me that very well could happen to you especially if you don't need it yeah Ray, in your opinion, should we disclose to a mental health professional, assuming that we go and see one, uh, that we have a desire for gaining? You know, I think it depends. Um, if you're seeing a therapist and you've identified that gaining is something really important to you as a person, I think that you know, we talked earlier about how important it is to find positive social networks for people that you can rely on, you know, in addition to utilizing skills life has to throw with throw at us. Um, I do think it is good for us to know, for good for people in the community to know, is that, you know, if you tell a therapist, the therapist isn't going to judge you for it. They won't. I can guarantee it. Right. Um, you know, you're not going to be treated any differently. That's why therapy is always good because it's unbiased. Hmm. Um, share that with them. You can share about, you know, the things that you're finding um, joy in. Maybe you say like, hey, I had such a great week this week. I met a goal that I was really hoping for. And if you share what that goal is, I'm sure that that therapist is going to validate all of the hard work that you put into that. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's a part of who you are. I don't see why it, it, you shouldn't. Mm. I think that's really important because I, I imagine there are probably people who maybe some of their mental health situation is around gaining. And the question could come down to, if I talk to someone about it, are they going to put me on a register somewhere? Are they going to like say, this person's fucked. This person needs to, that, the, the, the fucking uh, hammer, the 
pick to the to the thing behind oh, the eyeball. God, the, the, the lobotomy, the, the lobotomy. lobotomy. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's things that we build up in our mind because we don't have a rhetoric, we don't have a knowledge. So I think hearing that could very well be helpful to someone to know um, the right decision that they could make for themselves. Um, I, I do I do want to ask some questions here that maybe steer a little bit into a, a tricky territory if you're if you're up for potentially speaking to this. Um, Let's go for it. There's a question to be asked, uh, and this is a listener question. Should we should we potentially question if someone is actually a gainer or if they just have a food addiction? I think in order to answer that, we first have to look at the de definition of what an addiction is. An addiction can be explained as a kind of psychological and or physical overdependence um, on either a substance or a behavior. It used to, the definition used to be exclusively as a substance because we would automatically think of a drug addiction, but we realize that addiction can come in many forms, such as people who have um, uh, compulsive gambling, porn addiction, um, things of that nature. That's all, you know, part and parcel to it. Um, and it's that overdependence, despite its adverse consequences. So. This means that, you know, we already know that, you know, with the gaining, with gaining weight, you know, there's, there might be stuff that comes along with that, but um, is gaining getting the, getting in the way of you fulfilling your daily obligations? Are you having a hard time holding down a job because of your gaining? Are your relationships struggling and suffering because of your gaining? Are you having a hard time with managing your finances because of your gaining? If you answered yes to some of those questions, then it's possible you might want to reevaluate what you're doing. You know, uh, one thing that I really like, um, there's that TV show, My Strange Addiction. And oh, I always I remember thought that, that was slightly problematic because there were some people where fetishes were featured. I think that there was one episode that featured an adult baby. But the thing is, if you're able to still go to work and, you know, have healthy relationships and then you want to do this too, that's not an addiction. That's not a problem. Mm. It becomes a problem when you're spending every waking hour focused on it and you're not able to do anything else right so like a better example of a food addiction would be like maybe somebody who calls into work several days that week because they don't want to have to leave the house they just want to sit there and eat all day long yeah exactly you know? and then we talk about the fantasy of that but again it's that bringing it back to reality oops oops there goes gravity like what, what what does your gaining look like i get the fantasy of having a feeder that feeds you and you don't have to do anything in life but I don't know, in a world in which we're held accountable by existence to each other, what does that look like? How do you support yourself? How do you look after yourself? So I think that's a really important point to, to talk on. The other kind of similar question that we were asked is, is gaining disordered, is gaining a form of self-harm? You know, um, Again, thinking about that uh, definition of addiction, I want to also throw in um, what self-harm is. Now, self-harm is the intentional injury done to oneself 
And it usually indicates that you need better coping skills because some people self-harm because um, they might have a, a sort of emotional numbness and having that physical sensation kind of gives them something to feel. Um, sometimes feeling pain is the only way that they're going to be able to stimulate the production of the body's endorphins. Mm. Um, again, you know, we, 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 it's been mentioned on the show before that <laughs> uh, gaming can inherently carry what risks with it, but, you know, along with other behaviors such as smoking and drinking. But we don't necessarily consider smoking or drinking to be a form of self-harm. You know, think about again about why someone wishes to gain weight. Are we, if they're doing this because they want to feel better about themselves? Do they want to feel more attractive? Do they want to gain self-confidence? Or is this happening because somebody is dissociating and um, somebody is kind of wrapped up in a bit of a, a fantasy world and not having one foot in reality? Yeah. I think that those questions need to be asked. Um, if I had to say, like, briefly, I don't think gaining is self-harm, but again, let's look at the why. Let's look at why you're doing this. Yeah. And that will give us a, a better picture on how you're approaching this. Ooh. And, you know, I think we've got one last question here. It's another listener question, and it ties in beautifully. Um, how has gaining helped or hindered your own mental health? You know, it's, I think it's done a little bit of both. Um, you know, I personally had to do a lot of work on uh, kind of that from a previous episode you guys have mentioned of unlearning skinny stuff. I've had to do a lot of that over my time, you know, and challenging the negative views ingrained in me um, from a young age about what it means to be fat. You know, again, a lot of work in undoing that association that being fat is bad yeah they're not they they do not coincide um but at the same time i too find myself getting sucked into that cycle of positive reinforcement from comments and likes um and that sometimes became a driving force for what i ate how much i ate um etc and I decided to take a step back, do some introspection, and again, ask myself that question of why. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Hmm. Um, and that's why I'm not on grammar anymore. You know, I needed to sell, sell, uh, set some healthy boundaries for myself so I wouldn't get, you know, wrapped up in that cycle. I want to do this for me as a way of making myself love my body more. Wow. of a way of helping to promote my own sense of wellness and to challenge that internalized fat phobia that I had from when I was young. Mm. At this point, I don't even do it for likes or comments. I'm not really active online very much anymore, but I do it for me. I love that. And I think that's such a great point to come back to. You know, you mentioned before, like if you removed gaining, if gaining the concept trademark died tomorrow, would you still gain weight? And I know for me, the answer would be yes, because I had a desire for it before I ever knew the name Grommer. I desired it and craved it and wanted it my whole life, you know? And I think it speaks to motivation and 
maybe questions ways in which we could be a little bit better about, you know, lifting up gainers in the community and also lifting up people who aren't gainers, you know, lifting up encouragers and feeders and people who aren't trying to make themselves fatter and find ways to celebrate all of us. I want to ask, are there any points on mental health, especially in the ways it intersects with gaining that we haven't touched on? Well, mental health is a is a bit of a large subject. So, you know, there's <laughs> a million and a half things that we could be discussing. Yeah. But um, I think that if I had to give us one big takeaway and something to really that I really want to harp on is that to continue to make it part of our regular conversation. Yeah. Let's not brush it under the rug. Let's be willing to get vulnerable, people. Let's be willing to discuss how we're feeling. I think that talking about your feelings is perhaps one of the strongest things that a person can do. Let's do that. Let's encourage that. Let's encourage the well-being of our people and help them to grow in more ways than one. I love that. I love that. Tim, as, as our established member of the community present in the chat today, I mean, do you have any closing remarks on mental health that you want the listeners to be aware of? I mean, I'm far from a professional in that setting, you know, um, <clears throat> just a nurse by trade. And as someone who um, has had various mental issues come up over the years, um, yeah, if you, if you can seek out therapy, I totally endorse it. I didn't always have the opportunity to seek out therapy. A lot of it came down to cost. You know, um, living in the United States and having our particular kind of insurance, it really does not prioritize mental health at all. Um, quite often, the uh, insurance companies that you uh, are forced to take on will say, we'll give you five visits. So if you can't solve what's wrong with you in five visits, then tough shit. It's your own problem. So <laughs> even when people die, like bereavement counseling, because um, I used it when Jamie passed away. But again, it was like four or five sessions at most before you had to start paying for it. And it's like, I can't solve any issue I have in just five visits. Like That's just not how it works. Um, so I know that the prospect of seeking out mental health in the United States can be quite dismal, but I also know there are programs out there that will work with you that many therapists are on sliding scale payment. And mm -hmm. there are certain, I don't know the names of these programs, but there are certain, um, avenues that you can go down to get more visits for free or possibly even all your visits free you know just again it depends on your circumstances i'm a person who made a reasonable amount of money his entire adult life so insurance decided that i was not worthy of of seeking out any of this stuff um yeah. but yeah just don't give up and i i do think therapy is, is worth it you know i think much like what you were saying ray it's that it's continuing the conversation it's having it but it's also not stopping because every day of our life is a brand new day and each phase of our life each moment of our life brings new challenges and new victories and it's talking about them i think it is not just talking about the things that get us down but also like the things that lift us up you know sometimes i think that's the problem with the news we get so bogged down and like this is what's wrong with the world but actually if we took a bit of time to talk about the things that are going well like you said talking about your goals and how you hit your goals and the things that you want to celebrate that could end up being something really healing for a lot of people. But Ray, I just want to say thank you so fucking much for being here today, for blessing us with your presence and having 
this conversation. Where can listeners find you online? Well, I'm not online too much anymore, but my uh, my 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 big thing is I'm on Instagram. My user handle is translardfark. Um, and while I'm not on there all the time, you're still welcome to shoot me a message if you'd like to. Um, I love talking about mental health. Um, let's keep that conversation open. Awesome. Well. That's a wrap for now here on Thick Radio, everybody. Please remember to like and subscribe, rate us five stars, and leave us a good review because we need more good reviews. Do it for me, do it for us, and do it for Ray for being such a fantastic guest. If you liked this episode, the podcast, or just us in general, share it with your friends and encourage them to tune in. You can find me on Instagram and beefyfrat at Stanham. And you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, TikTok, and Beefy Frat at Thicky Mouse. You can also look us up on TikTok at Thick Radio or at our website at www.podpage.com forward slash Thick Radio. If you want to submit a voice note, you can reach us at anchor.fm forward slash Thick Radio forward slash message. And if you have any questions or ideas for episodes, you can reach us at thethickradio at gmail.com. So until next time, bye fats. Bye, fats. Bye, fats. Let's talk about it. Thick Radio is a Patreon and Enter app podcast produced by Stan and Thicky Mouse. Next and Master by Stan. Our artwork is provided by Lucky 2. Our theme song is provided by Spotify Curtain.